Welcome to the markets. Dateline, Chicago, Illinois, Friday, February 1. Along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson. Back with you for our weekly visit following a week of extremely cold temperatures across the upper Midwest, certainly. As a matter of fact, have to comment on this and because I'm going to have to find out why a town in Minnesota decided to name it Cotton. Because Cotton, Minnesota was on the news Thursday of this week. It had the coldest registered temperature in the country. It was 56 degrees below zero in Cotton, Minnesota. And one of these weeks, I'll tell you why they named it cotton, because I'm going to find out. They don't grow cotton in Minnesota, but there's a town there that's named Cotton. So let's take a look at the numbers as we always do for the day. The Dow up 61 points, ending at 25,061. The S&P 500 up two points ending at 27.06, and the NASDAQ down 18 points, ending the day and the week at 7,263. And for the week, the S&P 500 up a little more than 1.5%, the Dow added 1.3%, and and the NASDAQ gained a little more than 1.3%. Those are the numbers for the week outside of the temperatures that everybody was talking about for the good part of the week. So let's take a look at some of the activity on this last trading day of the week. Wall Street ended mixed today. Optimism from a surge in January job growth offset by a weaker-than-expected outlook from Amazon.com. And that hit retail stocks. The online retail heavyweight down 5 and a third percent after its quarterly sales forecast fell short of Wall Street estimates, overshadowing its record sales and profit during the holiday season. Those results put the NASDAQ in negative territory, while retailers Walmart, Macy's, and Kohl's Corporation each dropped more than 2%. And then there's the U.S. Labor Department report today that showed non-farm payrolls jumped by 304,000 jobs last month. That's the largest gain since February of 2018 and certainly beat expectations of economists who were looking for an increase of 165,000. Now that report, along with better-than-expected ISM manufacturing activity numbers for January, pointed to underlying strength in the economy despite the uncertain outlook that has left the Federal Reserve concerned about more U.S. interest rate hikes this year. One analyst said what the unemployment report is telling you is that people want to go back to work. The consumer needs to be strong, and if the consumer is employed, the consumer will stay strong. And even as the U.S. economy remains on a stable footing, investors are still concerned that a slowdown overseas could hurt profit, particularly with high-profile companies such as Apple, 
warning of a slower demand in China. Data showed China's manufacturing sector dropped in January for the second straight month, and that heightened the risks of global growth amid a trade war with the United States. The uh, Friday session saw Exxon Mobil Corporation and Chevron Corporation jumping more than 3% each after the oil majors reported better-than-expected quarterly profits. Cigna Corporation down nearly 3% after the health insurance forecast 2019 revenue and earnings below estimates. And so volume on exchanges, 7.5 billion shares, compared with the 7.7 billion average over the last 20 trading days. And the price of oil, well, it went up, had a pretty good week. As a matter of fact, today, oil prices rose about 3% on upbeat jobs data and signs that U.S. sanctions on Venezuelan exports have helped tighten supply, then extending gains after weekly data showed U.S. drillers cut the number of oil rigs. Brent crude rose $1.91 a barrel today. That's a little more than 3%. Settled at $62.75 a barrel. And U.S. crude ended today up $1.47 a barrel, 3% on the week, and it ended the session at $55.26. Prices climbed to session highs after General Electric Company's Baker Hughes energy services firm reported that U.S. energy firms cut the number of operating oil rigs for a fourth week in the past five, bringing the count of oil rigs working to the lowest in eight months. So that's what's been going on and what's coming up next week on the economic side. The Institute of Supply Management likely to report on Tuesday its non Manufacturing index fell to 57 in the month of January, down from 57.8. And on Wednesday, a report from the Commerce Department expected to show the trade deficit for the month of November narrowed to $54 billion. That would be down from $55.5 billion in October. And keep in mind that with the government shutdown, we're playing catch-up on many of the economic reports that were due to be released during the partial shutdown of the government. Initial claims for state unemployment benefits, they're expecting to be down 220,000, down to 220,000 in the week ending February 2nd. And then on the same day, a report from the Federal Reserve also expected to report consumer credit data for the month of November. And again, we're waiting for those numbers. So what about corporate earnings reports? What are we going to be looking at next week in corporate earnings? Walt Disney expected to post a decline in its first quarter revenue on Tuesday. Philip Morris International, which is the world's biggest international tobacco company, will report fourth quarter results on Thursday. General Motors scheduled to report its fourth quarter result on Wednesday. And the number one U.S. automaker expected to report a profit compared 
compared with a loss a year earlier. Cognizant Technology Solutions Corporation expected to report an increase in fourth quarter revenue on Wednesday. Chipotle Mexican Grill, that's the Mexican fast casual restaurant chain, expected to report a growth in fourth quarter sales and profit, driven by higher food prices, online sales, and new promotions. And then another company in the food business, the Yum! Brands Incorporated on Thursday, and that's the operator of fast food chains expected to post an increase in comparable restaurant sales, posted by higher sales in its KFC and Taco Bell restaurants in the fourth quarter. But a drag on the company will be the Pizza Hut business, which has been a drag on the company's business in the past few years. Also, next week, Kellogg expected to report a decline in its fourth quarter profit, higher ingredient costs the main reason. The Estee Lauder Company is expected to post an increase in second quarter sales and profit on Tuesday. And interestingly enough, the uh, uh, fragrant uh, industry is always watched to get kind of an idea on what the economy might be doing. And uh, Cody will be reporting later in the week, and it's expected they'll show lower second quarter profit. Insurer MetLife set to report its fourth quarter results on Wednesday. Prudential Financial will also be reporting next week. And then on Wednesday, we'll get a slew of health care companies will be reporting. And Glaxo, Smith, Klein, Eli Lilly, and and Humana, all reporting on Wednesday of next week. Oh, and then what happened to the Mattel company, the toy maker? It'll be reporting its fourth quarter results on Thursday, and the toy maker expected to report a decline in holiday quarter sales. So that's some of what's coming up in another busy week for Catch up on the part of government reports and the latest corporate earnings reports. Well, coming up, we're going to join Max Armstrong in uh, New Orleans. He was there this week for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Convention. And then we'll talk markets with um, our friend Greg Grow of Archer Financial. All of that coming up when we continue on the markets. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. Greg Grow, Archer Financial Services, joins us today as we take a look at the marketplace. And suddenly, with the government back in business, Greg, we're looking at a wealth of information that's coming 
going back to December. How do you, as a trader, deal with that? Well, it's kind of interesting. You know, the longest government shutdown we've ever been through backlogged a lot of information and a lot of very important information, especially the January crop report and our weekly export sales data. Uh, dealing with it is tough. We would have liked to have seen all of this come out so we could all analyze it and use it and make decisions. But it's going to trickle out slowly between now and mid to late February, and it's going to be a little tough for us. And uh, February 8th, we are going to finally get final crop production figures for last year? Yes, we're going to finally get our, our final yield numbers. Uh, it's uh, something we uh, are looking forward to. Uh, it's going to be a mixed report. We'll, we'll find lower yields, I think, uh, on both corn and soybeans uh, from last year, but we're probably also going to see the continued difficult demand expectations. USDA most probably will have to reduce export demand in beans, which will probably offset any lower yield expectation there and leave ending stocks about where they are. And uh, as we look at the numbers that are coming out, will we now get back on schedule if there is no other government shutdown? Well, isn't that the interesting question, Orion? We don't know. We're going to be going into mid-February with an expectation that maybe our government will get something accomplished. Uh, I'm not so sure. This far, any really surprises in the uh, numbers that you've seen? No, I, I think really the the thing now we need to know is, is China doing some buying? There's been a lot of talk that they're going to come in and do some things with U.S. agriculture, be it soybeans, be it DDGs, maybe ethanol, maybe wheat. Uh, all these expectations are there. We just need to see some proof of it now, and we're going to see that in our weekly export data. Speaking of ethanol, I noted that uh, we're seeing some change in the attitude of the European Union on soybeans that are used for biofuel and maybe corn. I haven't followed that really close, but I do think that there are pushbacks against uh, the use of, say, palm oil and biodiesel in certain areas. Some of that type of thing uh, is occurring. Typically, when we have periods of low oil prices, uh, we tend to find struggles sometimes with biofuels initiatives, and we're probably entering into a bit of a period like that. And I guess we have to talk about weather here in North America. It uh, has had an impact on markets? I think it's this last week has been, you know, as we all know, the coldest uh, weather we've ever seen in some cases here in the upper Midwest. Certainly that has slowed down grain movement at a time when corn demand is probably a little stronger. Animals need more calories during periods like this of cold weather. And certainly that probably has helped the corn market uh, steady up a little bit in here. Kind of a mix kind of a thing here in soybeans. Uh, Transportation, though, should get back online with the thaw that's coming. Uh, don't need any more of these big deep freezes for a while. And uh, so far, Mississippi traffic because of ice, been a problem? Haven't heard much there. Some jams on the Illinois uh, are starting to appear, but uh, haven't heard a lot of problems yet as far as the lower system. And it was interesting this past week that Cargill closed some grain plants in the Midwest. Well, that's probably a, you know an indication of slowness in the, in the trade. We, we Our export demand is off. Uh, we aren't seeing much change in basis levels indicating any new demand, so it's not surprising that merchandisers may be taking a bit of a slow uh, turn at things. 
So what are you hearing about planting for 2019? Are we looking for any big changes? Well, this is the big question. And uh, going back into the fall when the tariffs first hit and the soybean market took the tumble, a lot of speculation that we would drop a, a large amount of soybean acres this next spring in favor of corn. Certainly we're going to see some movement. But when I talk to growers, especially from Illinois to the east, a lot of folks still talk about normal rotation. When you get talking to people, in the west and especially the northwest up into the Dakotas. There's a lot of acres up there that could move. And I expect to see acres down, but maybe not in soybeans, but maybe not as much as we'd, we had talked a little bit earlier a couple months ago. Corn acres will be up a little bit, but maybe not the kind of surge. When you look at your cor corn soybean ratio for new crop, it's been hovering at about 2.3, right in the middle. Uh, 2.5 typically in sense beans, 2.0 in sense corn. So we're kind of in the middle we're going to see some acreage shift, but maybe not as big as what had been talked about. So what are you telling your farm customers they should be doing right now in the marketplace? I think soybeans right now are, are at a very high level versus the reality of the current global supply. No doubt the soybean situation uh, in, in Brazil may be not quite what it could have been with some season drought, but it's a bad, uh, it's, a, it's a heavy supply situation globally. Any kind of rallies that occur here this spring in the soybean market should be used as good hedging opportunities. Same thing with corn. I I think the markets are going to struggle to remain somewhat in the same range we've seen the last couple of years. And any time this spring that the new crop corn pokes up into the four and a quarter, 415 area, and uh, I think those are good places to, to get some marketing done. Max has been telling us from the Cattlemen's Convention in New Orleans that uh, things are looking not bad for cattle producers. What are you finding in livestock? I think the cattle, the beef demand has been very good for both pork and beef. Exports have been very strong. I wish we could have been seeing export data here during late December and early January. My feeling is probably those exports have remained pretty vibrant. I'm optimistic that cattle prices will, may, will remain pretty firm into the spring on normal seasonal demand. Uh, hog prices have settled back here some. A lot of speculation that uh, China is going to be increasing its demand for U.S. pork. If that occurs, I'd expect to see pork prices also strengthen some this spring. And you can't talk China without talking African swine fever. Do you think the numbers we're seeing are realistic? That's a real hard one, Orion. I talk to a lot of people about this each day, and uh, there's a lot of different opinions on where that stands in China right now. And, and quite candidly, the information there coming to us is, is wanting. And no doubt there's been a cull there, but the extent of it is hard to determine right now. Are you hearing much about European Union activity in the trade agreement area that would change their policy on technology from our country that going into their area? I haven't heard much on that myself, haven't read much in that area myself, Orion. But it's certainly something that we have been trying to get. And, of course, originally they said they didn't want to talk agriculture issues at all. But I think maybe that's changed. Well, I think under the, 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 the trade initiatives that have been uh, put in place over the last year, I think Europe uh, has an incentive to increase its import of U.S. agriculture to help with some of the trade uh, imbalances uh, that we're dealing with right now. The message I'm hearing from producers for the last couple of months is, we're down today because of China-U.S. trade. We're up tomorrow, and it seems to be almost on a daily basis that prices move up or down based on 
the latest information, right or wrong, from the China-U.S. trade discussion. Well, that is true, but you'll notice that the ranges are much smaller. Yep. Yes, we go up and down with, with different tweets and pronouncements and rumors that fly in out of the market, but we've been confined to a pretty tight range. You know, we've been trading wheat in about a 15 or 20 cent range here over the last month, corn maybe a 10 cent range over the last month, and beans maybe a little bit bigger than that. But yes, we do see some roller coaster ups and downs, but it's interesting to me the narrowness of the trade. Certainly not the volatility we've seen on Wall Street. Certainly not that kind of thing with the stock market moving up a percent or down a percent almost on a daily basis. So it's still a tough decision for a lot of growers to make on what they are going to do in the coming year. When do we get the uh, planting intentions report? We won't get our intentions till late March, and that's hopefully that we don't have any further government shutdowns to deal with. But we'll have an outlook conference. If we don't have a shutdown in, mid-Mar- in mid-February, the USDA has announced they will hold their outlook conference at the end of the month. That'll be our first look at things after their budget uh, analysis they did right at the end of the year. But again, the most important number comes on our March acreage intentions at the end of March. And then we wait till June to find out what we really plan. What we actually got in the ground. Yep. That's right. Right. Well, I don't envy you the job that you have. So uh, what seems to be the mood of the farmers that you're talking to? I think farmers are optimistic. Uh, they uh, understand the administration's uh, attempt to renegotiate trade. I think farmers uh, want to see these issues resolved. And we're still waiting to get approval of the well, I call it uh, NAFTA number two, but uh, still, that has not made it through Congress. Still waiting to see that. Uh, you know, I, I, the changes between the old NAFTA and the new agreement don't look to be all that big. Yep. Uh, hopefully, Congress will, will take up that and get it done. And dairy farmers particularly are hoping that it'll be fixed a little bit to their advantage. There are some benefits there for dairy. Yep. As always, a pleasure to talk to you, even when it's 20 below zero in our part of the country. Our visit with Greg Grow, Archer Financial Services. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, It's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. Looking at the grain trade today, China again in the news. The most active soybean futures contract reached its highest level since June on news of fresh U.S. soybean sales to China. But the market paired gains as traders considered those plentiful global supplies of soybeans. Wheat futures were higher today, and uh, corn moved slightly higher. But uh, here's what moved the market today. Soybeans advanced a day after the Chinese vice premier met with high-level trade representatives of the U.S. in Washington, And out of that meeting announced China would buy an additional 5 million tons of U.S. soybeans. China state-owned firms bought at least a million tons of U.S. soybeans today for shipment. That, according to three traders with knowledge of the deals. And one trader said 
of the deals that total purchases were around 2.2 million tons. And so we keep getting the stories out of China, and we can't ignore them, but you always wonder how accurate they are dealing with the Russian way or the Chinese way of keeping track of everything. But for the day on Friday, we ended the week with March wheat up eight cents a bushel, five dollars twenty four and a quarter cents. March corn was up one and three quarter cents at three seventy eight and a quarter, and the March soybean contract was up two and a quarter cents at the end of the day after gaining a lot more uh, during the trading session. But by the end of the day, March soybeans were up two and a quarter cents, ending at nine seventeen and three quarters. Uh, turning to the livestock story, cattle futures firm, feeder cattle contracts, on the other hand, were weak. But live cattle futures moved slightly higher today. Hog futures mostly higher after falling to their lowest level since August 9th on Thursday. But feeder cattle contracts weakened to their lowest level since January 23rd, pressured by concerns that the recent cold snap in the Midwest will raise the costs for producers as they look to put additional weight on their cattle. And so at the end of the day we and the end of the week, uh, April lean hogs down seven cents a hundredweight to end the week at sixty dollars twelve cents. The rest of the months though in the hog futures traded higher. February live cattle futures up eighty seven cents a hundredweight at one twenty five sixty seven and the April feeder cattle contract ended down twenty cents a hundredweight at one hundred forty four dollars and seven cents. Now, as you heard earlier in our conversation with Greg Grove, um, traders are going to have to catch up with a lot of government reports dating back to mid-December, and that's not going to be the easiest thing to keep track of those numbers and their importance to the marketplace. Also, uh, USDA will hold its annual Outlook Conference. That's the biggest uh, meeting of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and it will take place as scheduled on February 21 and 22 at the Crystal Gateway Marriott Hotel in Arlington, Virginia. And they have extended the early bird registration rates for the 2019 Agricultural Outlook Forum until the 6th of February. So if you're planning to attend and want to get the early bird registration rate for the Outlook Forum, make sure you handle that by then. Coming up next week, National Association of Conservation Districts holding their 73rd annual convention in San Antonio, Texas. You may recall last week I urged our legislators in Washington, D.C. to grow up and stop being childish about what they're doing, directed at both sides of the aisle. And what a surprise. I did not get one negative comment from viewers across the country. They all tended to agree with me, and I can't remember the last time that has happened. 
Let me share with you just one email that was typical of the emails I received. This one says, Samuelson says, said it all this morning, don't think I will live to see most of the things you talked about. Our congressmen and senators will never vote for term limits. They have a good thing going for them. The only reason there are term limits for the president is because there is very little, if any, opportunity for them to become president. Keep up your thoughts. They are right on. Well, thank you. And thank you to the rest of you for supporting my thoughts. But this viewer is certainly right on term limits. We have them for the president, but we don't have them for Congress and probably never will get them because Congress would have to pass the legislation and it would have to go to the president's desk. But I still say time to grow up and be adult about some of the comments and the back and forth stuff that's going on. And uh, I'm forwarding your comments on to my congressmen and senators and hope they'll get the message. Thank you. That's our time. Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong with you. Thank you for joining us on The Markets.